I'd like you to look to a very short but very familiar story in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 10, please. Luke chapter 10. We are back in Luke's gospel. At some point, I'll be telling you through this sermon that you have an important appointment to keep every day in reading your Bible. If you don't know where to begin, just pick up the reading right where we are and read where we are this morning. Luke chapter 10. In the 10th chapter of Luke's gospel, Jesus is headed with great determination to the cross. He is handing over, in fact, the preaching of the good news that he's going to deliver on the cross. If you're unfamiliar with the life story of Jesus, he is the very Son of God, sent as our substitute. Live the life we couldn't live before God. Live righteously like we can't and don't want to. And Jesus is now determined to go die for the sins of people like that rebellious son, people like me. And he's handing over the ministry because he's headed to the cross. In fact, Luke 10 tells us he's now only has not only 12 men that he's sending out to preach, there's a larger group that Luke says is 72. And they come back after a very successful campaign preaching and healing and doing everything that Jesus had been doing because they're going in His name and with His power. And now in Luke chapter 10, in verse 38, it says, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And it's not clear how many people are represented in the word they, but it's at least the apostles who were always with Jesus at this point. And the last group that Luke has mentioned is 72. So it might have been close to a hundred of his disciples who were going with him day by day. Say, why does that matter? What's the point of those details? Well, I'll show you. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. In other words, if you were having some people over, It would matter a great deal to you whether 12 or nearly 100 were coming over, right? And it's not just whoever, however many disciples are coming, it's also, did you notice who's coming over? Who really got invited in? His disciples are coming with him, but who really is the guest of honor? Let's just put that in the real world because Jesus walked among us. If Jesus were coming over this Sunday afternoon, would you even be here? probably be home with the pledge out, right? (laughs) Wishing you would have bought the Dyson and you could vacuum a little better than you are. Wishing somebody would pay for the maid and maybe thinking about painting some things and polishing some others before he arrived. It's not yet fully clear even to these disciples the magnitude of who Jesus is as the Son of God, but they have a pretty good idea. No one's ever taught like he does. He teaches with authority. When he's interrupted by demons, he calmly tells them to sit down and get out. And they do. And now Jesus and these disciples are coming over. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to her teaching. Well, that sounds good too, right? Right? 
How many of you have siblings? I think the next verse will maybe take you back into childhood or remind you of things that are happening in your house right now. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Of the siblings, don't look at them if they're with you, but do you know who pulls the weight when it comes time to the chores at the house? It's always uneven, right? Mom and dad try to make it 50-50, but it's never 50-50. There's always someone who, well, I could tell some stories, but I won't. But we have one that just then needs to go to the bathroom, and I don't know what all goes on, but it seems to take an extraordinary amount of time for him to rejoin the work. So Martha and Mary have been honored with this amazing privilege of welcoming not only the disciples, but Jesus Himself. And my question is, why is Martha so upset with Mary? If you look at this through 21st century American eyes, it just seems very obvious. All these people have come over, and my sister is doing nothing to help. What is Mary doing? Did you notice? Look carefully at what we're told she did. Verse 39, she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. And you can notice Martha really is upset. Did you notice how passive-aggressive the question is that she asked Jesus? Look at verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Passive aggressiveness is not an American invention in the 21st century. It goes back at least 2,000 years. Don't you care? That's a rhetorical question, and we ask rhetorical questions to make statements. What is she telling Jesus? You should care. A great injustice is being done here. My sister has left me all to myself to take care of all of you, and she actually wants Jesus to do something about it. Did you notice? It's not just a complaint, it's a complaint with a request. What does she want Jesus to do? Tell her lazy self to get up, get in the kitchen. You're dying back here. Why is she so upset? Well, if you look at it through our eyes, it just seems like a sibling rivalry. One sister is being a little lazy when it's understandable that she needs and deserves, Martha needs and deserves help. You look at it in their culture, it's nearly as scandalous as the parable that Jesus just told about the Good Samaritan. See, the parable of the Good Samaritan, there was no such thing in a Jewish world. They had ancestral hatreds. They disagreed about God Himself and the way into God's kingdom. The Israelites, for good reason, thought the Samaritans were dead wrong, fatally wrong, eternally wrong. And Jesus tells this radical story about a good Samaritan who is the only good man in the story who loves and mercifully cares for a man who he owes absolutely nothing to. And Jesus told a self-righteous man that parable and told him, now you go act in mercy and love the way the good Samaritan did. And in Jesus' world, and I think we even still understand that now because of the influence of the good Samaritan idea, wow, 
That's pretty radical. This story is just as radical because what's happening here culturally is this. Mary is behaving like one of the men. You see, in their culture and in many parts of the world, the home was divided into two spaces, the men's space and the women's space. And the women's spaces were in hidden quarters. They couldn't be seen, primarily the kitchen. And there were only two places where men and women interacted, the marital bedroom and outside in public where the kids were. What Mary has done when she receives the great honor of welcoming Jesus into her home, into Martha's home, where they both live, it says she sat at the Lord's feet. And what's she doing? She's listening to His teaching. In other words, she's crossed a gigantic cultural barrier, and she's behaving like one of the boys. This isn't a worshipful attitude. Jesus deserves and receives worship in the Scriptures, but what she's doing by sitting at His feet, looking up at Him, and listening to His teaching, she's enrolling as one of the disciples that have come into her home. She's a full-on disciple. And listen to what Jesus is going to say to Martha. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But Lord ans- the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, there's tenderness there, there's compassion there, but he's not going to do what she wants. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Well, that's certainly true, isn't it? If you've got... Eighty-some people, maybe more, in your home, all expecting a meal to which you have invited them. Yes, there's a great deal to do. And Jesus sympathizes, but catch the last verse. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. big story in the first century, because it says something so revolutionary, and Jesus taught this and changed the world so well that it doesn't even sound radical to us. He is saying that both men and women will be His full-fledged, first-class disciples, that there is no difference in discipleship to Jesus that your gender has nothing to do with it, and as the New Testament unfolds and you get to the other book that Luke wrote, the book of Acts, they're going to discover something that was equally hard to believe, that your ethnic difference makes no difference either, that God is the God of the Gentiles, and He will reach right across the world, men, women, and children of every skin tone imaginable and every wicked practice known to humankind, and His grace will span all of that, and He will welcome all men and women as disciples. Why doesn't that sound radical today? Because Jesus has made such a profound difference in the West that none of you, I hope, precious sisters in Christ who came in here thought you needed to sit somewhere else. And that you would be treated every, any differently. You understand yourselves rightly to be beloved daughters of God. And that you speak to God as His own child. And you need no intermediary between God and yourself except Jesus Himself who welcomes you and calls you blessed. Blessed. 
It's extraordinary. And it changed the world. We've had a lot of missionaries in this church. My parents are missionaries. I once was a foreign missionary myself. And sometimes you get the impression that missions is kind of this man's world, and it's not. Did you know that the majority of career missionaries in Christian, in Christian history are women? By far. Here's how it works. A third of missionaries are men, married men. Well, you can do the rest of the math from there probably, right? If a third are married men, there's also a third of married women, their wives. That only leaves a third up for grabs. Of that remaining third, 80%, fully 80% of the remaining third are single women. I think God's calling single men. I think they're not listening. I think it's a crying shame. I think men are given to apathy. And I think women with all the disadvantages that they face in the world and the understandable fears, physical fears that they face going overseas, historically are much more willing and ready to face those dangers than their male counterparts. You may have heard the name Gladys Aylward, but I doubt it. She's such an extraordinary Christian woman that Hollywood once made a movie about her in the 50s. Hollywood movie star played her role. Gladys Elward was a British parlor maid born in 1902. She heard of the need of China and having no husband, decided to enlist in the China Inland Missionary Society instead. She advanced so poorly with her limited education in the study of Chinese that the agency dismissed her and told her, you'll never learn Chinese, you'll never make it in China. She kept working as a maid. And being unable to afford a ship's passage, she bought, get this, a train ticket. And beginning in Europe, set off by the Trans-Siberian Railway with the intention of going from Europe to China. It's a long rail ride. There was also an undeclared war in the middle. So she basically put all of her clothing on her person and looked absurd, people, historians say, because she's all bundled up in practically everything she owns. She packed non-perishable food, and with her Bible and her passport, this single woman with no help and little Chinese language set out to go to China, where she believed the Lord wanted her to go. Well, she got arrested by the Russians, but then she was able to, she was released, and she took two ships, first to Japan and then ultimately to China. She met an older missionary woman who had given her life there. Together they set up, they started working a little inn where they welcomed mule drivers off the trail. And Gladys, who never lacked for assertiveness, had a really good idea of how to get these mule drivers into the inn where they could feed them, give them a clean room for the night, and while they were eating, tell them about Jesus. Gladys would go out, grab the reins of the lead mule, and take them right into the stables. The mules, knowing that that meant rest, the entire train would go in, and the men would say, well, I guess this is where we're staying. And a great number of people heard the gospel there. She became so revered and so trusted in China that the imperial government gave her a job as an inspector. The China had recently banned the terrible custom of foot binding. And they made her an inspector to go to the women and see if their feet were healthy and if this was actually being phased out of Chinese society. While she dealt with all of these women, guess what she did? She told them about Jesus. 
There was a brutal prison riot where people were being killed, and the warden came to her and said, you need to go in there and get this to stop. And she said, how does an unarmed woman do that? And she said, well, you've been telling us that because of your God, you have no fear, go to it. (laughs) So she did. And without an act of violence, she quietly negotiated and pleaded with these men and got them to lay their weapons down, and then she kept them from suffering the traditional punishment of beheading for their rebellion. Before it was over, Gladys Aylward was trusted and beloved across China, and she began to welcome orphans into her care. And when war broke out in earnest between Japan and China, she walked 12 days with 100 orphans across a war zone in which she was wounded and became sick with typhoid fever, and she collapsed only after bringing the children to a safe place. At the end of her life, Gladys Elward, who lived into our times, said this, I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done for China. There was somebody else. I don't know who it was, God's first choice. It must have been a man, a wonderful man, a well-educated man. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he wasn't willing, and God looked down and saw Gladys Elward. And from Martha and Mary's home to this day, with the differences in roles and functions that God has given to each gender, God looks at both His sons and His daughters, welcomes them as full disciples, and gives them work to do. And here is Mary, Jesus said, choosing the best part. And this lesson, which would have been explosive in the days of Jesus, because women are the protagonists, they're center stage, they're engaging with Jesus. One of them is quietly trying to correct Jesus, and she's being corrected herself Because Jesus said, one thing is necessary. There is much to do. There are many things that you are anxious and troubled about, Martha. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. And here's why it pays to listen to Jesus. Because that will not be taken away from you. Listen to Jesus in the Gospel of John. Read this with me. In fact, John 6 verse 35 says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, as important as it was to give Jesus hospitality, the man Christ Jesus would grow hungry again. So would his disciples. If they offered him dinner, he would need breakfast. Jesus said, Mary's made the better choice. She's chosen the good portion. She's listening to me as my disciple, and that will not be taken away from her. This is a hard lesson for all disciples, men and women, and here it is. Learning from Jesus is greater than doing things for Jesus. And depending on your temperament, that may be a hard thing to believe. It is for me. Because I would much rather get out and do and move and make things happen. How arrogant is that? My pastor used to say, if you're doing God's work, no wonder you're tired. Think about that for a second. You'll get it. (laughs) Yes, I would rather go out and do rather than be. I'd rather go out and serve rather than spend time with. 
because there are so many things that need doing. That's Mary's position. If everybody did what Mary's doing, nobody's going to get fed. Has it occurred to you men that there's just one of me and all of you? How's the food ever going to make it to the table? Jesus understands all that. He's the object of her service, but he goes on to say, Mary has chosen the good portion, the one thing that cannot and will not be taken away from her. What that teaches me is this, working for Jesus without spending time with Jesus never ends well. You can go on in your own strength for a little while, but it won't end well. And you hear of these spectacular stories of Christians, many of them leaders, who flame out and fail, who burn out and crash. And when the story is told, it's always the same. I grew exhausted in the work, and I forgot about spending time with Him. It's always the same. You have some strength. Your own natural strength, your own natural determination can take you a little ways, but not nearly far enough. And it can keep you energized for a short period of time, but maybe not even doing the best things. Working for Jesus without spending time with Him never ends well for anybody. And I know that's true because Jesus said this in John 15, verse 5. Here's the context. He's on His way to the cross. This is his last extended teaching to his disciples. The twelve he has given his last three years to are with him. And as they walk through vineyards probably, he turns to them and taking the familiar sight of a vineyard, he says this, John 15 verse 5. I'd love you to read it with me. It says, John 15 verse 5, please. There it is. This is the words of Jesus. Read it with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Let's unpack that word picture. It's very simple. Jesus is a masterful teacher. He's the vine. What are we? If I take a branch and cut it off a vineyard, throw it out into the footpath, what do you expect will happen to that branch? Wither and die. Never produce fruit again. Not until it's organically reconnected somehow to the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me very simple childlike understanding, whoever spends time with me and I with him he, that person, he is the one that bears much fruit. And here, just so we couldn't miss his meaning, he says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. You believe that? Do your actions show it? See, I believe that because Jesus said it. Jesus of prophecy in this scripture, Jesus who rose from the dead, he said that. It's true. It must be true. I can tell you from experience it's true, but in my everyday life, when I'm not spending much time with Jesus, when I'm not putting being with ahead of doing for, I say to myself, apart from me, I can at least get started. I can get started without Jesus. 
and then it's going to get really hard, and then I'm going to hit a wall, and when I need help, I'll call out for help, and He will surely come. Have you ever done this? You ever blessed your prayer, your plans with about a 15-second prayer as you charge out into the world to put it in action? Jesus says, reverse that. Spend time with me. Quiet the voice that tells you that you have too much time to listen to me in my teaching, which, by the way, you don't need Jesus physically here anymore to teach you. He has given you His Word, and He has given you the Holy Spirit that breathed this Word out to open His Word up to you, to apply it to you personally. Here's how Paul explained it. All Scripture is breathed out by God. So when you're reading this book, it's not like every other book. You are literally face to face with God. His breath is mingled with yours as you listen to Him. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, Paul says, for teaching. In other words, it's the whole curriculum. Everything you need to know is in what God has already put in writing. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, That means for rebuking, for pointing out what's wrong, for correction, for training in righteousness. Paul goes on to say, he says to Timothy, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, spending time with Jesus and becoming like Jesus makes you competent, complete, mature, man or woman, so that you can be fully equipped and enabled for everything that Jesus wants you to do. And it's my selfishness. It's my experience. It's my resume. It's my curriculum. It's my memory of how it's gone in the past that thinks that on Monday I can handle it with just a quick nod and glance to Jesus as I charge out the door. Is this familiar to anybody else? What's that look like in practical life? It means that earlier first you give your attention to Him. By early, I mean early, before everybody else wants you before you do that wretched American habit, which I so often engage in, of looking at your phone before your feet hit the floor. What's going on, huh? Your world blows up because you got all these notifications. And Jesus is not seen the rest of the day. Early means early. First means first. There was a man in the first service who worked graveyard shift. I was just glad he was here. I told him, I'll try hard not to bore you so you don't go to sleep on me. He probably won't have the physical energy to pay much attention to Jesus until he gets a few hours. But when he's rested and refreshed, maybe later in the afternoon, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, when he has a good square meal, then he's ready to pay attention to Jesus, and that's where he should begin. It's always abiding before producing, it's being before doing, it's staying with before serving in his name. That's why Jesus left this story for us in His Word. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. What am I trying to tell you? Simply this. Jesus is still making disciples. Men and women, young and old. Students, I just absolutely love to hear your voices coming over the rest of the crowd singing a few minutes ago. Absolutely thrilling. Your age makes you no less disciples than the oldest and best saint in this church. 
The minute you come to Jesus, you are fully His child. You have a lot to learn. He has a lot to teach you and me. But you're His disciple, so make sure that you live for the one thing that can't be taken away from you. Let's pray. Jesus is actually present with us, not physically, but He's here through His abiding presence as God. He is as real and more so than any person sitting beside you. If you know Him and your schedule's been reversed, you've been busy doing and staying with Him, sitting with Him, sitting at His feet as a disciple, if that's been hard for you, if that's been pushed out of your life, if you don't even have that habit, would you please talk to Him about it? He'll listen. He'll forgive you. He'll welcome you back without a trace of guilt or shame. He'll start fresh right where you are and start making you into the person He died for you to become. If you don't know Jesus, He died for sins. He died for sinners like me. He broke my hard, hard pride even though I was a kid. I fought Him. I was that rebel. I told Him audibly that I didn't need Him, that I was fine on my own. I was so wrong, and He was so right. He'll reach down and reach into your darkness, your sin, your rebellion, your pride. He'll save you too if you turn to Him and trust Him. You can talk to Him about that too. Lord Jesus, there are many disciples here and perhaps also some who just aren't sure. Would you help them each according to their need turn to you right now? Save, Lord, those you are calling who have need of you as Savior and boss. Teach those of us who are already following you, and I pray that you would start with me because it's really easy for me to be a hypocrite on this one. Teach us to sit and to listen first. And then, only at your bidding, in your time, with your strength, go out and sacrifice and serve and get really, really busy doing things in your name, serving you as we should. Lord, this service of communion, this remembrance, looks back to that cross where you paid for our sins and looks forward to your return. We worship you. We thank you as we are served these elements that we can remember your historic death to secure our eternal life. Receive our worship in Jesus' name.